So, new Sunday, new year, new month. There's a joke that uh, says, uh, on New Year's Eve, when you wait up till midnight and the countdown begins, you should stand like this. It's important to start the year on the right foot. All right, we get it. Start the year right foot, right foot. Yeah, now I've got your attention. All right, put the rotten veggies down. I'll get better as we go along. So, I wanted to say that because last week Helen talked about finishing well. Which is fitting for the last sermon of the year. So I thought today it would be fitting to talk about starting well. And there is no better start, I think, than the gospel message. As we begin this new year, it's worth revisiting the foundation of our beliefs and the treasure that God has prepared for those who love him. We sung about mansions, harps and crowns, but you just wait till you see this treasure. You just wait. A treasure hunt is exciting business. I mean, who hasn't enjoyed going on a treasure hunt, say, at a kid's birthday party? You know, when you're young and someone's parents fill the backyard with lollies. Or even hunting for eggs at Easter. And even as adults, we like looking for treasures. This town was founded by people looking for treasure in the earth. It's called the Goldfields for that reason. And even people who haven't gone prospecting still enjoy pirate movies and adventure movies where people are searching for treasures. Or an archaeologist like Indiana Jones searching for rare antiques. We love a good treasure hunt. Usually there's a small treasure initially, and then further searching reveals that the real hoard is a large chamber further on. A little trinket at the doorway to distract people from what really lies in Pharaoh's tomb. But there is a better treasure, far more valuable, that people have been searching for since ancient times. And just like a pirate map, we mark the spot with a cross. Ancient times, I'm talking really ancient. The oldest book in the Bible is Job. Job is thought to be a contemporary of Abraham, although he lived in a slightly different part of the world further south. And in chapter 28, verses 9 to 12, he makes this observation. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock. His eyes see all of its treasures. He tunnels through the rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He searches the source of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? There's the first clue to the treasure hunt. We're looking for the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Mining gems under the mountains and panning gold out of the rivers are wonderful things. 
and can produce wonderful, beautiful things. But that's nothing compared to wisdom and knowledge. But where can they be found? Like natural treasure, this spiritual treasure of wisdom and knowledge must be searched for. You have to take it as your own. Again, in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, there is another exhortation to pursue wisdom and knowledge. Turn your ear towards wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's not just handed. You have to search it out. You have to, you have to go on a quest. But where is it found? Where do we search? Where do we look? That's the question of the Old Testament. Where can we find this wisdom? Where can we find this knowledge? And centuries later, the Apostle Peter had the answer at last. In chapter 1, Verse 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care. Well, we already know that. We just read that. Trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Christ is the knowledge and the wisdom of the gospel of our salvation. Paul reveals to the Colossians in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. My purpose is that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And here's the important bit. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I told you it was marked with a cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ is like a treasure map, even marking it with a cross, showing us the way to incomparable spiritual riches. But it reveals much more than merely salvation, as wonderful as it is to know that our sins are paid for. Further searching will reveal another chamber filled with other treasures waiting for anyone who loves the Lord. There is great power in this gospel. It is, in fact, the switch to the Christian life. It's more than just a story of how Jesus came to save us. It's certainly a part of it, a big part, an important part that we celebrated recently at Christmas. But it's more than that. And it's more than just a ticket to heaven. 
It is the power of salvation in action. It does not merely introduce you to the Christian life. It also establishes you in the fullness of life that God intended from the beginning. It's not merely words from a pulpit, but instead it is first God's action towards us to graciously provide the answer to human need. And then secondly, our action towards him to live a life by faith, pleasing to him. What is this faith? It is faith that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he has said he will do. To live a life that pleases him out of gratitude and love. Without the gospel, Christianity is a dead thing. You sometimes see this in people's lives or even churches. It's a sad thing when Christianity becomes merely duty and ritual and tradition. These things are not necessarily bad in themselves. They can be quite helpful. But on their own they are empty, like a light bulb sitting on the bench. Unless they are plugged into the power source, they will produce no light. And the gospel is that power source. And when you plug those things in, your whole life lights up. But you need that gospel. The gospel isn't just for one area or a few select areas of our lives, but our whole life. God does not want us to be half-finished works, but rather for us to be complete in him that we might have life and have it in abundance. So this is the nature of the gospel. The gospel comes in two distinct halves separated by the cross. In the first half, we find that the old has gone. The old has passed away. On the cross, Jesus took our sins and paid the penalty for them so that our old nature, the sinful nature, is taken care of. It is finished, as he said. We are cleansed of our sins and we now have a right relationship with God. We are given eternal life. And secondly, the new has come. We are now empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have a new spiritual nature that replaces the sinful nature. We are given abundant life now. Each of these halves also divides into halves to make quarters. So most people are aware of the first quarter. Jesus died for us. Jesus was the perfect substitution for our sins. He was the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. He is the Son of God, fully divine and with the authority to be able to forgive these sins, which allows us to be brought into God's family. But it goes on beyond that. That's the part that most people know. But beyond that, Jesus also died, not just for us, but as us. In his fully human nature, he is not only fully divine, but fully human. And in that human nature, he takes care of the self. Not merely the result that is sin, but also the cause of the sin. 
that deep-seated corruption within human nature is healed and restored at the cross by his stripes. He says, if anyone should come after me, he should take up his cross and follow me daily. What is he saying here? He's saying, put to death the sinful nature. Now, Jesus put it to death on the cross and we are called to take up our cross if we are to follow him. We are also called to put to death that sinful nature. After this comes the second half, the third quarter. Sin having been dealt with, both in the spiritual consequence of going to hell is no longer applicable, and the very sinful nature has been dealt with, we now move into the life of Christ. And Christ lives in us. This is the third part. Christ lives in us by the, his Holy Spirit. And this transforms us over time to be more like Christ, who was the perfect human and the perfect Son of God. We are no longer ruled by our base desires. That was our old sinful nature. It's been crucified. It's been done with. But now we are ruled by spiritual desires. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We are empowered with spiritual gifts that are both practical and powerful. And we are filled with the life of Christ and filled abundantly. So that we no longer seek after the perversions and silly things that we once were, but now we seek after righteousness and holiness. And living like this brings us to the fourth part of the gospel. Christ not only lives in us, but he lives through us. To quote Mother Teresa, who is now canonized as a saint in the Catholic Church, he has no hands but these hands. Christ lives through us. This abundant life flows out of us and into everything we do. It expresses itself as a life of hope in the salvation of God, faith in God being who he says he is and doing what he will say he will do, and love. Love for God with everything that we've got. Love for our neighbour as we love ourselves. Love one another as evidence of our discipleship. And love those who are our enemies, those who stand against us, returning evil with good, curse with blessing, cruelty with kindness. This is it. Being in God's family as we live in Je as Jesus lives. Doing what we see the Father doing, even as Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. This is the gospel. It's a lot more than people give it credit for. Yes, Jesus saves us from our sins and their consequences. And hallelujah for that. But there's so much more. He also deals with the fallen nature of humanity and the natural inclination towards sin. To this end, we are empowered by his spirit in our lives to be a holy people, to be righteous, 
noble and virtuous. We become children of God, empowered to live godly lives and affect this world in a godly manner. The gospel has the power to change lives, your life in particular. It's important for every Christian to understand the whole of the gospel, because by removing any one part, the gospel is diminished and becomes nothing more than a heresy. If Christ didn't die for our sins, then we are still lost. If Christ wasn't divine, he has no authority to forgive. If Christ isn't human, then he can't pay the penalty on our behalf. If Christ doesn't live in me, then how will I be changed? What is the point of any of it? If we take any one part, it diminishes its power. It becomes empty. This is Satan's obsession. And I mean obsession. You can look at church history and you can find every heresy you can think of. Anything to diminish the gospel and remove its power. He will try it. You can even look in the Bible and see the epistles of Paul and Peter and Jude trying to combat heresy. A particular one of their day was called Gnosticism and a lot of their writings combat it. The moment Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, Satan didn't waste any time. He tries to dilute it with empty rituals, pop philosophy, self-help remedies, new age mumbo-jumbo, any piece of rubbish he can find to cover up those pearls of wisdom. But only the pure gospel produces a pure result. Only the whole gospel brings the whole power of God into our lives. The wisdom and knowledge of God is not merely facts and trivia to be memorized, but action to be carried out. It's a verb gospel, a transformation to be lived out every moment of our lives. So I exhort you and I encourage you as we go out from here into a brand new year, let's start on the right foot. Let's hunt for the treasures of the gospel, the gems of God's wisdom and knowledge that we can be the best we can be and all that he has called us to be. Thanks for listening to a Wattle City Church podcast. If you download the Anchor podcast app and type Wattle City Church into the search engine, you can listen to more and great podcasts from Wattle City Church. Thanks.